The Insulone Podcast is brought to you by Cybionics, an emerging CGM brand that focuses on simplifying how individuals aged 18 and above monitor and control their blood sugar levels. Upon becoming available on the market, the Cybionics GS1 CGM has helped users worldwide navigate the complexities of diabetes management with more confidence and peace of mind. Thanks to Cybionics, now more people are able to view and share their real-time glucose data, receive customizable glucose alarms, and generate full AGP reports, all directly from an intuitive Cybionics app, empowering them with the necessary information to make better decisions about their health. Cybionics combines data accuracy and comfort of wear, which is important to us all, with a feature-rich app. The 14-day scanning-free and calibration-free Cybionics GS1 CGM aims to deliver reliable, seamless diabetes management experiences. For more, check out cybionicscgm.com. How's it going? It's Owen here, and this is a bite-sized episode of the Insulone Podcast, Redefining Diabetes. Every week, we'll dip back into the episode archive and get you to think and reflect once more about some of the things we've learned from the podcast over the last few years. It could be some diabetic wisdom, advice, a great guest, or even a hypo story. So enjoy this bite-sized episode of the Insulone Podcast. Uh, one question surrounded cafeteria eating. Nothing else, but I think you get the gist of maybe <laughs> this person's in high school and they maybe don't have that many options during lunchtime. What's your opinion on that, Owen? A big, big, big part of how tricky bloods can be to manage is when we don't essentially have control over the food that we're eating, i.e. we don't make it ourselves, we don't carb count, we don't know when it's going to come out, so we don't know if we can pre-bolus. The two things that essentially are the keys to managing our bloods around our food. So we're stepping into new territory with takeaway food, with restaurant food, with cafeteria food. And from my experience, what I always try and like to do if I'm, let's say, eating out or at a cafeteria or a restaurant, I try to eat vegetables first. That's the first thing that I do because the high fiber in the food and the vegetables can help reduce the spike and the rate of the spike of the food that we eat. That's why fiber is essentially like a superpower when it comes to managing blood. I, I remember you saying that and I was shocked when you were talking about the vegetables and how important they are and yeah. why you eat them first. Just really quickly, give us another uh, kind of more of an in-depth explanation of that because I found that fascinating at the time and it's just escaped me exactly why vegetables are so important. Yeah, so any food that's, that's high in fiber, fiber in itself will work wonders for your bloods. Basically, it just helps reduce the rate of the spike that you see from food itself. So if I was to sit down and eat a bowl of pasta by itself, my blood sugar is a lot more inclined to spike higher and faster from just that bowl of pasta compared to, let's say I had a small plate of broccoli before the pasta. So the fiber in itself can help reduce that spike. So we're told, we're told from a very young age to eat fruits and vegetables. Eat fruits and vegetables. They're very good for you. Same with fruit? Not to the same extent as fruit because there's a lot more carbohydrate in itself okay. with fruit. So the fruit itself might spike you, but vegetables 
are super low in carbohydrate. So I would be very surprised if vegetables, unless it's like a potato or something, would spike your blood sugar. And is that why I always see asparagus on your plate? Absolutely love asparagus. Yeah, Aspar- yeah. Asparagus, my one of my favorite meals. I know we're kind of going off topic here. <laughs> one of my favorite meals is just asparagus and salmon. Yeah. Fried on a pan, drenched in lemon juice. Oh, so simple, but amazing. Does that fill you up? Or would you have rice as well with it? Um, it would depend. If I was eating... If I was eating that meal closer to bed, I would try and hold back on the rice because I like to reduce the carbs that I eat closer to bed to help benefit my overnight bloods. But the high protein, fiber, fat from the salmon and the asparagus. Oh, it's just amazing. Might make that for dinner tonight. (laughs) I must get into asparagus. I never get into asparagus. Anyway, look, I haven't really offered much help to the person who asked the question yes cafeteria yeah right so i'll give the example of if i was out at a restaurant so i pick the food that i want if i'm at a restaurant i'm likely going to pick something that i want to eat because that's the purpose of going to a restaurant but i also want to do what i can to make my bloods behave the way that i want them to behave so like i said focusing on vegetables getting them in but then also understanding that from my experience, anytime I've gone to a restaurant, I've required more insulin than I thought I needed. So if a meal arrives at my, at, my, at my table and I instinctively have that thought of, right, I need five units. As a diabetic, you almost instantly make that calculation in your head based on your previous experience. Now, I know that from my experience going to a restaurant, I've required more insulin than I initially thought I did. Because chances are, if you're in a restaurant, there's going to be more sugar, there's going to be more carbohydrate, there's going to be more fat in what you're eating. That's why it tastes so good. So what I do is, and you could refer this back to the cafeteria, if I get something in front of me that I'm going to eat, and I have that instinctive thought of, right, five units. I will add 10, 20, maybe even 30% additional insulin onto that to counteract what I call like the hidden ingredients from restaurant or takeaway food. Because even if you're eating something like a salad, again, from my experience, the salad dressing can have a lot more in it than you would anticipate it having. So your bloods would spike the other end. So... I have that initial thought of, this is what I need, insulin requirements, but then also add on an additional amount. But with that additional amount, what I typically do is take it after I finish the meal because chances are it's going to be higher in fat, which will likely lead to a more delayed spike in your bloods. So that additional dose that I'm talking about could be 10, 20, 30%. I take after the meal to counteract that spike. Let's move on. I like this one from Emily. She says, how accurate is the Dexcom? I'm transitioning to it soon and I'm nervous about it. Good question. I think we actually did an episode on this, didn't we? Because I think it was Alan Edwards that emailed in about the discrepancy between Dexcom and finger pricks. So we've spoken about it a good few times on this podcast 
CGMs themselves are never going to be as accurate as a blood glucose monitor. So when I check my bloods with a blood glucose monitor, that's actually the blood. Whereas with a CGM, it's in interstitial fluid, which is basically between your skin and your blood. So it's not 100% accurate. That's why it's kind of playing catch up every now and then too, as well as the fact that it's not like a live reading. But again, from my experience, like I love my Dexcom and I've used it now for about two years. I kind of be lost. <laughs> I kind of be lost without it because I've, I've gotten so used to using it now. But I always keep in mind the fact that it's never going to be 100% accurate. So if I have any dodgy readings, if I feel like it's telling me I'm high when I don't feel high, or it's telling me I'm low when I don't feel low, I will always be sure to check with my finger prick to double, double down on what that number is. And strangely enough, during the week, I had to rip off a sensor like five days into it's 10 day period because it just kept telling me I was low. And I was, I think I was sitting down watching TV one of the nights and my low alarm just kept going off. And I was like, I am definitely not low. And it got to like capital L O W low rather than just a low reading. And if it says low, that means you're like below two It's shouting at you. Yeah. And I was like, there's no way I'm low. Cause I felt perfect. So I went, got my blood glucose monitor checked and I was like 4.5. So it's probably perfect. So that's a perfect example of if you are too reliant on your CGM, you can treat lows that aren't actually low or more dangerously, you can treat highs that aren't actually high. So if, you're, if your CGM is telling you you're high, but you're actually in range, but you take that as that's the gospel and you you treat that high, which is essentially an imaginary high, you're risking plummeting, which is not what you want. So if in doubt, always finger prick. But going back to the question, how accurate is it? I'm happy and confident with how accurate it is 90% of the time. I love my CGM. And if you're nervous about transitioning, I wouldn't be nervous. I'd be excited because you're going to learn a whole lot more about your bloods. It's going to give you a lot more confidence with the alarms and it'll just kind of open your eyes to what's going on over the 24 hour period rather than that snapshot in time with a finger prick. Thanks for listening to this bite-sized episode of the Insulone podcast. And if you want to listen to the full episode, you can check it out in the description. Chat to you soon.